0: Wow. It's uh, quite a thing to stand up and speak when the presence of God is this strong. Um, we uh, This summer, as we have in previous summers, uh, are looking at uh, the Psalms. Um, And the Psalms are um, a collection of uh, poems and songs um, that are written um, by a few different people, um, all of which are expressing uh, worship uh, and praise uh, to God, as we've just been doing together now, Um, but also doing so in in an incredibly personal way. Um, I feel the sense of God here in an incredibly personal way right now. He's been saying things to different ones of you through uh, this morning so far because he loves you and he wants you to know him more because he's a good, good God. He's a good, good father. So we've looked at, uh, in the previous weeks, we've looked at a few different psalms, Uh, psalms that um, uh, cover, uh, like just really um, go into uh, the awesomeness of God and how good he is, Um, psalms that are for uh, the good days uh, when we really feel the presence of God. Um, But uh, last week and this week, uh, we're looking at psalms uh, for the difficult days. Um, Last week, uh, David uh, preached about um, King David, who was hiding in a cave, um, afraid of King Saul coming to kill him, and the the thoughts that were going around in his mind at that time, the anticipation of bad stuff happening. Um, This week's psalm uh, is uh, about what happens after That one was about anticipation of something bad. This is uh, how do you deal with it after something bad has happened? Um, This psalm uh, is written about 400 years later uh, than uh, last week's one uh, by a guy called Asaph. We don't know a whole lot about him, but he was uh, most likely a scribe. He would have known the scriptures very, very well. Um, And uh, it's Psalm uh, 79. Uh, he writes about uh, the fall of Jerusalem to uh, the Babylonian Empire. <clears throat> Health warning, this comes with a bit of a clunk. <laughs> oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh. Of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your je- jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you, according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbours, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Okay. I wonder if you have ever had to let go of dreams. Let go of dreams because of circumstances outside of your control. Uh, About seven years ago now, um, Helen and I moved uh, to Hertfordshire. And um, that was at the end of over a year, uh, spent applying for jobs and uh, feeling, I really felt like um, God had put me in uh, positions of privilege uh, to use the skills that He had given me um, to uh, do a job. And I, my the dream, uh, my job, that my dream about my career uh, was that I would work uh, as a chemist, as I trained to. Um, in uh, drug discovery, in pharmaceuticals, uh, discovering uh, new um, treatments, new um, um, medicines uh, for previously untreated diseases. Um, And uh, I wanted to use uh, what I'd got from God, uh, the skills I got to to do that. Um, And this year of applying for jobs um, was getting rejection after rejection. I wasn't just apply, applying in the UK. I applied in America. Uh, there was a job uh, that could have taken me to Switzerland. And um, we had started to get towards the end of that year uh, to think about whether what God was saying was you know, that this dream uh, wasn't actually what his plan was uh, for me. But then I got a, jo- a job offer in Welling Garden City uh, to do uh, exactly uh, what I wanted to do. And... Uh, we had started to think about whether you know, this was actually the right thing, and then this job offer came along. Um, and I did take it, uh, but it was a difficult uh, decision to make um, because it meant leaving behind an amazing church community and really, really close friendships uh, and building a new life here. Um, and 11 months in uh, to doing that job, I was taken on a temporary contract 11 months in, they uh, had been saying through the year, yeah, yeah, you're doing a good job. We want to keep you, keep you on, make you permanent, all the rest of it. And um, they let me go. Um, the business had taken a, uh, a turn for the worse at, at that point. And uh, at the same time, we got uh, given notice uh, from our landlady. She wanted to sell up, sell up her flat. And we really, really questioned at that point, whether we'd heard God right, because we came here, um, we really needed to come here with uh, a clear mandate from God to say that this is the right thing, because of what we uh, left behind. Uh, it was painful. Um, and uh, we really felt, between the two of us, that God had spoken and that there was... Uh, we felt that we had heard him right, that this, the promise um, was here, it was given to us. But the reality of our situation didn't match uh, with that promise. Asaph um, is uh, dealing uh, with a situation uh, that is much, much bigger than this. Uh, as I mentioned, he was a scribe who had known the scriptures. who uh, had been familiar uh, with uh, what they had to say uh, about the promises given to Israel by God promises uh, given such, uh, to Abraham, for example. Uh, he, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Your, and he says to King David, uh, your house and your kingdom will endure me before me forever. And then the reality is down here. In fact, it's right down at the floor. Like the whole, uh, since King David's time, things have not gone well. There have been ups and downs, but the general trend hasn't been a good one, and they've ended up with what's left of Israel being uh, taken in uh, to the Babylonian empire, um, and uh, the, um, the hope for these promises uh, being apparently utterly shattered uh, for Asaph. So what I want to address this morning uh, is how do you fit promises that are up here with a reality that sometimes is right down here. Before I uh, look at even look at any particular verse from this, uh, there's a general thing that I noticed when I read this psalm, um, and that is um, the way that Asaph uh, intercedes uh, for uh, his people. It would have been quite reasonable for him uh, to express his pain towards God uh, in a personal uh, way. There would have been nothing uh, wrong with that. Uh, But instead uh, of uh, addressing God using me and I, throughout this psalm we see we and us and our. He's taking uh, the situation uh, and he's praying for those around him. I'm quite sure that he felt a personal loss. He in verse, um, uh, verse two, he talks about the bodies uh, of God's servants. No, I would be wouldn't be at all surprised if he had friends amongst those uh, who died fighting uh, for uh, Jerusalem, fighting uh, the Babylonians. Despite feeling. An enormous uh, pain of loss of these dreams, of uh, these promises up here uh, that were uh, unfulfilled apparently from the bereavements of friends. It's the shame of the nation uh, that motivates Asaph to pray. We can find ourselves kind of desensitized uh, to this gap when you live with it all the time. But this psalm uh, is written in a crisis, and sometimes crises shake us uh, to look at uh, things differently, and God calls, uh, calls to us uh, in these times to look at our world from a biblical perspective, to take uh, the uh, wisdom of the culture of the Bible uh, into our own one, which is Uh, let's face it, quite individualistic. The primary thing that drives Asaph to pray uh, is his love of his people, which means he feels their shame strongly and he appeals to God's honour throughout this psalm to change the situation. So how does he pray? Um, The first uh, four verses um, are just Asaph telling God how it really is. He just states the facts of the situation. Although this prayer is um, taking place uh, in a major crisis, it's uh, useful for normal life, actually, uh, to pray in this way. It does two things. It uh, gives you uh, the opportunity to process, just as you would tell a friend such and such has happened and just say the facts of uh, of it. Um, Telling God such and such has happened it gives you the opportunity to process it before you start going on to ask God about what you want him to do but secondly uh, it gives God the opportunity uh, to speak uh, into you about how uh, you are feeling before um, as I say before you go on okay so I should have told you before I started uh, I've got five points we're now on to point three (laughs) 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 Um, so point three uh, be honest about what you want God to do Uh, this is uh, from verse 5 through to verse 12 the whole of the rest of the psalm basically minus the last verse Um, Asaph makes uh, an appeal uh, to the honour of God um, and is emotional naturally emotional because of the situation uh, that he's in Asaph asked God uh, to do uh, a number of things, including uh, pour out his anger, uh, to deliver them, uh, to avenge outpoured blood, and to return taunts sevenfold. Okay. (laughs) Um, Does he... You kind of think, this guy knows the scriptures really, really well. He knows the promises of God. He knows God is writing in the Bible. Does he not know that Israel is meant to be a light to these nations that he's calling down curses on. I want to address this question uh, using the film Up. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so, um, For those of you who don't know, uh, the um, uh, the Harrier Hall uh, last Saturday uh, was a venue for uh, a lot of uh, the kids from this church and uh, others who've been invited as well to, to come and watch uh, up. Um, and uh, I stayed home uh, with Edith, um, and Helen and Florence went. And uh, when Florence got home, she uh, was, she had a good time, but she was cross. Yeah, she was. I think it's fair to say that she was offended by this film. (laughs) Um, And she said said to me, Daddy, Daddy, the man threw his furniture out of the house. (laughs) Littering makes Florence angry. When, we, uh, when I take her places on the bike, she spots when there's litter, and she says, you know, that, that shouldn't be there. Uh, she's now moved on to graffiti as well. Like, <laughs> that person shouldn't draw on that because it doesn't belong to them. <laughs> um, she said to me, I don't like it that he did that. But the context for this guy throwing his furniture out of the house was that he had a load of balloons attached to the top of his house, and he needed to make the house light enough so that the house could lift off the ground so he could go and rescue a little boy uh, that was in danger. So when you put the frame too tightly around what's going on, all that's going on is (laughs) fly-tipping. But when you see it as it's meant to be uh, seen... Uh, you see what's actually going on. How does this apply when we pray? Well, when I was a teenager, uh, I'm not particularly proud to admit uh, that uh, I prayed um, to God uh, that uh, this girl in my class, who is not a Christian, uh, would notice me, um, and because uh, I had a bit of a crush on her. Does that mean that that prayer was "I should never have prayed that prayer i don't know, but i don't think so because if you extrapolate those two previous uh, those two examples, if you say that as an adult, we can second guess god 's perspective on our situation, that we can Uh, know what size the frame is that God is using and therefore pray the right, theologically accurate, um, perfect prayer that will line up uh, with uh, what God has in mind and therefore get answered. We get the answer that we want. I would suggest that maybe if you think like that, your God might be too small. God's understanding uh, and wisdom is larger than ours, no matter how well we know him or how much wisdom we may feel that we have received uh, from him through our lives. While we don't want to be frivolous in our prayers, I feel it's always right to go to God, state the facts, and tell him, ask him what you want him to do. Many of you are going through tough situations at the moment. Let this psalm be a release uh, from feeling like you have to have the perfect theology or ask God for the right thing. Don't hold back from telling him what you want, but keep an open heart as you do that, that his answer might be totally different from what you expected. God sees your heart uh, when you pray. He isn't marking your prayer for accuracy or merit. And if any more than it would if you were sharing something with a good friend. And don't miss the opportunity for God to answer your prayers. So, uh, point four when God doesn't appear to answer, Asaph prayed this prayer. And nothing changed. The people went off to Babylon. His friends didn't come back from the dead. But God is still God. From our side, there are three ways, I feel, that we can try to deal uh, with this when God doesn't appear to answer our prayers. The first way uh, we can deal with this is to say to God, I don't understand, therefore maybe God isn't real. Or we can feel like, oh, that's that's a bit much and try and soften it a bit and say, maybe God isn't who I thought he was. Maybe he's not really in control. Maybe he doesn't really care about me. I've been there. I've asked that question more often than I would like to admit the first person that needs evangelising in the morning is me. I don't know if Asaph would ever have had this thought but if he did the same mindset that led him to intercede in the first place praying uh, using we and us rather than focusing on himself praying an I and me prayer would have helped him here. Family and community really matter uh, in the Bible uh, because they really matter in life. So that means not placing uh, too high a value on your personal perspective without listening uh, to other people. If we never listen to those uh, we disagree with, uh, the process of finding out that we're wrong, if we are, is more painful because we've taken longer to get there and actually, if we keep going down that line, it ends up being God that shows us that we're wrong. God doesn't want any of us to be alone and he sets us in community for that reason. And community that works requires honesty and integrity in speaking and humility in listening. The second way uh, that we can try to deal with unanswered prayer uh, is to say, I don't understand, therefore the purposes of God must be different from what I thought. Well, that might well be the case. But watch out, be careful that you don't reduce the purposes of God to fit your perception of the new facts of your situation. This isn't the God that we see when we read the Bible. This isn't the way uh, that God uh, calls us to respond to him. God is always and consistently raising his people's perspective on what he can do and what their role in it can be. So just to pull out a few examples, God took Noah and he spoke to him and called him to build a boat. And Noah had faith Uh, to do that. God took him from being a boat builder to, towards the end of his life, he was the one who was being a world populator, not just with people, all the animals as well. God took Moses, he was a murderer and a runaway, and he made a nation deliverer. God took uh, David, who was a shepherd boy and used him to deliver uh, the kingdom promises uh, that we are uh, still holding on to and seeing delivered today, that the increase of his government will have no end, as Isaiah prophesied. None of them limited God based on their history, their experience or their feelings. The third way we can deal uh, with unanswered prayer is to say, I don't understand, therefore God is showing me something new. God used the experience of exile uh, to bring his people into dark places, darker places than they would ever have uh, reached without it happening. Two of those uh, who came after Asaph uh, were Daniel and Nehemiah. And we read... Uh, their stories, which I'm not going to go into in detail uh, now because of, uh, of time, but just to draw out some kind of overarching comments on each of their lives. Um, you can read, uh, read the books and see what they got up to. Um, firstly, they prayed. Uh, they really, really prayed. Real intercession, uh, real listening to God. And that changes your heart. Secondly, uh, they were generous people in the sense that they genuinely cared in the situation that they were put in. They genuinely cared for those around them and they gave themselves sacrificially uh, to what God had called them to do. And thirdly, they were obedient even when it was tough. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for it. Nehemiah uh, was faced uh, by... um, with these walls that were broken down of Jerusalem that he was going to rebuild. And uh, it was a very dangerous situation. But he was given the opportunity by uh, the king of Babylon at that time, when they were coming back, to take courage in both hands and to stand up for his people when it would have been, I'm sure, much easier to stay in the comfort of Babylon. All these three things, prayer, generosity and obedience, Uh, all come out of having a solid personal identity and a personal hope and a clear understanding of the gospel and how it fits in with family, community and nation. My fifth point is the final call. The final call on any situation is God's. Asaph recognises this, and he makes a decision in the last verse to praise God. It kind of clunks, doesn't it? And you go from verse 12 to verse 13. Verse 13 says, We, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. He's gone from despair and anger and requests for reprisals to hope in a single verse. Just like that. We're going to have to wait for the new heavens and the new earth to find Asaph and ask him, How on earth did you do that? It's an amazing leap of faith. The, the shame of his situation, of, the, of his people, is, is placed to one side and replaced by thanksgiving and praise. Where did he get that from? We know as Christians that the whole of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. It's pointing towards this man who would come. He was God. He came to his own people. He took their shame and was rejected by them. Asaph mourned over those who died outside the walls of Jerusalem. That same place was where the son of God was killed by a brutal foreign power that was occupying the nation. He took the shame and he took it on himself and he lived a perfect life that was totally blameless. And he died for all that went before and everything that would happen since. He was the holy temple that Asaph says in his, as he starts his prayer. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. Jesus was the son of God. He was the temple, the very presence of God here on earth. And they mocked him. They shamed him. And then they murdered him in the same place. They poured out his blood like water. But he did not avenge sevenfold, but he forgave. He taught how many times should we forgive? 70 times seven, but more than that. Jesus forgave in that moment as he died the sins of the whole world. That means your sins, it means my sins, it means the sins of anyone. Who would put their faith in Jesus? His death created a new nation. A new people of God, children of Abraham by faith. And he invites us, through his death, to die to ourselves and to live to God in forgiveness and wholeness. This room is full of people who have done that, who continue to do that every day, to make that decision to die to self and to live to God. This is the gospel, and it places in you an unquenchable hope. Jesus is the one who saves families, communities, and nations. And he calls us into, into obedience to follow him in this. Just as Daniel and Nehemiah did. They were just obedient with what God put in front of them, what God asked them to do. And He did amazing things. Jesus is the one who lifts us day after day and calls us to make that frame bigger to see a bigger picture of him. The gospel is not just about me and my sins forgiven, although that is absolutely wonderful. It is an offer of restoration from God for everything, everything that is broken and unlovely to healing and wholeness and the joy of harmony with its creator. This gospel can never fit on a piece of paper. It can never be reduced to a tract. It has never been a formula. It can never be adequately reduced, condensed or simplified because the longer you look at the gospel, the bigger it gets and the more wonderful it is. I'd like to ask uh, the band to come up. We're going to just return uh, to worship at this point. But I feel like there's a few uh, things that God's just put on my heart to, um, to respond to this morning. And it may be that uh, coming forward and having somebody pray with you would just be really helpful uh, for you. We have a ministry team available and they would, it would be their privilege, uh, it would be a joy actually to um, stand with you and to pray. I feel like there are people in this room who have felt the pain of disappointment with God. And this morning there is a permission and a freedom to stand up before God and to tell him how it really is and to tell him what you want him to do. I feel like there are also... Uh, pe- people here who, um, for whom, God wants to restore your hope. Hope is so important, and He wants to restore your hope for the future. That there is a way forward in the difficult situation that you you are in. And lastly, I th- I feel like there are people here who as I've been speaking and as as we've been worshipping this morning have the pennies just dropped that your frame is too small that all you're seeing is the fly tipping and this morning God wants to unlock something in which he can show you every day that he's bigger than you thought he was the day before.